0: incredibly low. It seems like, if you listen to the Fed Chairman Powell, lower for longer. That calls into a question a lot of folks uh, about the traditional 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds. Is that dead? Is that a thing of the past? I'm going to put that to Barry Ritholtz, Bloomberg Opinion columnist and host of Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio, also founder and chief investment officer of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Barry, thanks so much for joining us here. So the 60-40 portfolio, is that kind of a thing of the past?
2: Yeah, you know, I always feel like a doctor who's telling people they need to exercise and (laughs) and watch what they eat when we discuss these traditional portfolios. Um, No, these portfolios are are not dead, and look no further than the folks who had an all-equity portfolio heading in to March of this year, all that panic selling, Mm -hmm. uh, we saw after a thirty four percent drop i'm pretty confident that most of those people uh, did not have the sort of diversified portfolio where thirty or forty percent of your holdings are fixed income that operate as a volatility dampener and and it's not just about yield
1: well, exactly it wouldn't want to be these days. what a barry so you're saying it's it's purely for the volatility dampening uh, of Of bonds that you'd have a whopping 40% in bonds right now?
2: Well, you know, 60-40 is considered a fairly conservative portfolio. Depending on your age, your risk tolerance, that could be 70-30, 60-40, 75-25. If you're young and you could tolerate the swings that we see in the market, something like 80-20 is is certainly viable. If you have a 40-50-year, even a 30-year time horizon, uh, you know, the, the problem that we always seem to encounter is that people look at low yields. And what is it, a decade ago, people were complaining that the 10-year had fallen to a 4% yield. <laughs> Be, people, would, people would kill for 4% now. Uh, that you cannot get blood from a stone. You cannot create something out of nothing. And you have to accept that your options are limited, and and there's only so much you can do. Now, there are things you can do, um, and there are are different structural changes you can make and different holdings you can have, but you have to be realistic that if you're looking for higher rates in a low-rate environment, you are taking on more risk, and, and that's the key to remember. And risk means potential loss.
0: Hey, Barry, I think since the last time we all sat down and ch- uh, chatted, we've had at least a couple of uh, pharmaceutical companies come out with vaccine uh, data that seems very, very promising. Yet at the same time, we're seeing metrics on the pandemic just go the absolute wrong way and certain cities and countries shutting down. As you step back here, any, what are your thoughts on that as it relates to the markets?
2: Sure. So... so- there, there are two approaches that you take when you're dealing with a pandemic. One is a, a vaccine that will stop um, the spread of this and and the other is the various non-pharmaceutical approaches that will allow you to tamp down on the spread of, of the uh, epidemic while you're waiting for the pharmaceutical solution. And it pretty much appears like this administration made a bet on the former and while ignoring the latter. They, they went all in on vaccines. And listen, these vaccines are going to be fantastic when they finally are manufactured in number and are widely distributed and 60 70% of the U.S. population has taken them so that we have full herd immunity. But that's, you know, six months at the earliest off in the future, maybe even more, maybe eight or ten months, uh, off in the future. And so the idea that uh, we could ignore things like social distancing and working from home and wearing masks whenever we go outside is, is folly. And you see that in these, you know insane infection rates. We're, we're coming up on 200,000 new infections a day. It's just horrible. And so on the one hand, you see the equity markets looking past that valley, uh, but on the other hand, the broader economy is bracing for for quite the uh, difficult couple of months, if not quarters, and and that gets reflected in the bond market.
1: Right, uh, but I do wonder if you wouldn't be better off replacing some of that allocation with, for example, gold right now.
2: Well, it depends on what your purpose. If you're if you're looking for a volatility dampener. Go back to 0809. go back to other periods of high volatility, 2000, and of course 2020, and you'll see you know, gold didn't quite fall as much as stocks, but it certainly um, got hit when, when the market fell. Bonds, on the other hand, not only did they not fall, but they attracted capital. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a safe harbor in a storm uh, on a temporary basis. Um, what we've been telling people who are looking for yield... Uh, and are willing to take a little bit more risk. There are a couple of options they have. Certainly shortening your duration and and not owning a 10-year, taking less yield today. Um, you, could, you can own a three-month treasury note. It's not that far less paying than what the 10-year pays. And if eventually, if and when re- rates go up, you can start rolling out of that into higher yields down the road, um, we, we suggest that for people who have modest-sized portfolios. If, if you have a larger portfolio, well, you could obviously construct a bond ladder so you have 2023s and 2025 maturity dates and so on. You ladder that out for a decade or longer, and then when each of the, the legs of the, that ladder, each of the rungs of that ladder come due, you replace them uh, with 10-year-out, paper that is hopefully yielding higher levels. So you're you're getting the benefit of added duration now, and if yield goes up over time, well, as each of these rungs mature, you have the opportunity to swap out higher-yielding treasuries.
1: Yeah, for sure. Barry, we're out of time, but who's your next master's business candidate?
2: Um, so I, ha- I have two really interesting people coming up. One is Greg Fleming. Um, yep who who I'm sure you're familiar with from from all of his um all of his investment banking work but the uh, this weekend is Dennis Lynch oh, who is very uh, with Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley Counterpoint uh, Global and has put together an incredible track record this year a lot of his funds are up Nearly double. So that's a fascinating conversation.
1: Yeah, dying to listen to that. All right, Dennis Lynch and then Gregory Fleming, who is now the President and CEO of Rockefeller Capital Management, coming up on Masters in Business with our guest. I remember
0: when. Dennis Lynch was my client. He was a young, young, young buy-side analyst at Morgan Stanley. Now he's a very successful portfolio manager there, running that large cap group, putting up just great numbers, as Barry said. Paul,
1: I think you need to call Barry offline and give him a few anecdotes so he can sprinkle them into (laughs) masters in business. Always makes for a, a good introduction if you have a little dirt on somebody.
0: We got some economic data this morning from the conference board. Its leading economic index for the U.S. increased 0.7% in October, following a 0.7% increase in September and a 1.6% increase in August. To help us break it down, we welcome again Adaman Asseldrom, Senior Director, Economics and Global Research Chair at the conference board. Adaman, thanks for joining us again. A good month. Uh, What's the takeaways here?
3: Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on the program. Um, yes, uh, so the US LEI rose again in October. Uh, the improvements were widespread among leading indicators, uh, despite the weakness from housing permits and uh, con- the consumer's outlook uh, on economic conditions. So uh, the takeaway is that uh, there is a recovery in leading indicators, which bodes well uh, for the economic recovery. Um, But the leading index itself has been decelerating in recent months, Uh, so that suggests that growth will moderate uh, going into the final months of 2020 and uh, that'll slow down from the, the very unusual rapid pace that we saw in the third quarter.
1: And certain things like stock prices helped buoy it a little bit this month, so you have to wonder if that's a good thing for the entire economy or just for a certain portion of the economy.
3: Yeah. Well, when when you look at the leading indicators, uh, you know, over uh, several months, uh, especially uh, stock prices, uh, the yield spread components have been supporting uh, the improvements in the leading index. Um, So, uh, you know, that is a positive uh, for the economy. But that's not the uh, the whole of the uh, sort of economic activity, right? So there are other weaknesses that we've been seeing uh, in other parts of economic activity. And, um, you know, you kind of have to look at it as a glass full, glass uh, half full, half empty situation.
0: It's interesting, Ottoman. it's, uh, you know, the, the numbers are decent, the economy is recovering, but then, you know, every Thursday, we get these jobless claims. Uh, and it just kind of is a, you know, shows you that there are some serious headwinds still out there in the marketplace, perhaps exacerbated by some of these metrics we're seeing from uh, the virus and, and closing down. Um, how do you think about the, the, the labor market as it relates to the overall uh, economic outlook?
3: Yeah. The, the labor market obviously is a very important element, uh, especially uh, in this recession, as with every recession, but more so this time, I think, because the impact has been uh, so disruptive uh, for labor markets. Um, I went back uh, over several months and looked at uh, sort of the UI claims contributions in the LEI and um, the improvement that we're seeing in the LEI over six months. Uh, half of that comes from UI claims. Um, but uh, again, um, we are seeing a deceleration in the improvements in uh, labor markets and that's going to be concerning, I think, uh, looking ahead at the recovery.
1: So we had, what, five, six months of positive personal income transfers and it's still positive, but it's very, very anemic, uh, Adman. What, what, What is that telling us?
3: Uh, yeah. Again, you know, it is really a, a reflection of all these disruptions that we're seeing uh, in uh, in the labor markets. Uh, people are concerned about their employment status, uh, ability to, you know, keep their jobs uh and that has a reflection directly on uh, their income levels uh so that does create some uh, risk aversion um and a lot of the gains uh in personal income that we we're seeing is coming from uh you know a component called uh transfer payments right so uh government stimulus programs uh unemployment uh insurance programs have been uh supporting those income levels Um, And, you know, without that artificial support, I think there is a lot of concern on people's minds about, uh, again, employment and income uh, looking ahead.
0: Mm. Well, Audubon, one part of the economy that continues to uh, really impress me, surprise me, actually, is the housing market. We had uh, existing home sales today, very strong numbers. Uh, New starts yesterday, very strong numbers. Um, How does that factor into your economic uh, work and your outlook?
3: Yeah, uh, uh, there has been, uh, you know, more positive news coming from uh, the construction, uh, housing construction uh, sector uh, over the, you know, last several months. Uh, That's good news for the economy because it is a leading sector for overall economic activity. Um, In the leading index, um, uh, we use a related component which is building permits. Uh, That's highly correlated with starts, but it tends to be a little bit smoother, so it gives us a better view on, a smoother view on the business cycle. And uh, building permits um, contribution uh, in October was zero. Um, So that could be a little bit concerning, and and I'd be watching that very carefully.
1: Yeah, we were looking at it yesterday. Month over month, it's flat, and economists were looking for it to be up 1.4%. And Uh you have to wonder if this isn't going to be a blip in the future of housing starts, I mean, yes, the housing starts themselves are still really strong at 4.9% in October, but the permits aren't going in there, are they, Atman?
3: Right, right, uh, so uh, you know the weakness in permits, of course, is related to uh, the future activity, and uh, you know whether you actually will start construction and whether the the, the good news will continue or not and uh, I think that just highlights some uh, some of the risks uh, in uh, to economic recovery. Mm.
0: Adman, we had the uh, president of the Cleveland Fed on uh, this morning, uh, and one of the things she spoke about was uh, the continued need for fiscal stimulus. Uh, we haven't gotten that fourth round that a lot of people in the market were looking for. A, how do you think that's going to play out with our, the new uh, newly elected officials? And, and B, what is it in your base case at all?
3: Um, You know, in our base case, uh, we haven't allowed for uh, a lot more stimulus coming in. uh, But, uh, you know, as we know, at the end of the year, a lot of these uh, unemployment support programs are going to uh, expire. Um, So that does have an impact on our projections, you know, over the next couple of uh, quarters. uh, Without uh, a a large uh, degree of government stimulus, we're projecting around 2.2 percent growth for the final quarter um, and slowing growth in the first quarter of the next year, uh, I think just about uh, 0.7% for GDP growth.
1: Ardaman, you know, explain why all of this is happening and at the same time consumers seem to be spending, because we saw that in the retail earnings, we saw it in some other data, you know, in the last few weeks.
3: Um, Yeah, again, um, you know personal income has been uh, doing well. It's supported by uh, uh, unemployment support. Um, So that partly explains uh, the the good retail spending figures. Um, But uh, I would be concerned about whether those trends are going to be sustainable, Um, especially now uh, we have this deceleration in the improvement in labor markets, and we're also being faced by uh, a second wave of the COVID-19 outbreaks. Um, so that is uh, likely to, I think, constrain uh, consumer spending, and that's probably the biggest factor uh, in our projections for the slowing growth in in the uh, last quarter.
0: Ottoman, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate your thoughts. Ottoman Uzeldrum, Director of Economic Research and Global Research Chair of the Conference Board, and we appreciate his thoughts.
1: So now let's get to our guest and uh, continue to talk markets. Uh, Brian Fairbanks is CEO of Trex, and Brian was listening to some of that. Brian, i just wondering what your takeaway is on coronavirus and, and where we're at as an economy and where corporate America is at. Oh,
4: that's an absolute tough, uh, tough panel to follow. Uh, we see great opportunity as we move forward. We're very encouraged by the progress being made with the vaccines, as well as the actions being taken in various states to try to stem the continued spread of the virus. As it relates to Trex company, we see continued opportunity uh, for people to improve their living spaces by buying our eco-friendly outdoor decking.
0: So Brian, it's, you know, we've seen this a lot during the pandemic. A lot of folks obviously spending a lot more time at home, uh, spending a lot of time at Lowe's, getting uh, stuff to improve their home. Talk to us about how your business evolved, you know, starting that February-March time frame through today.
4: Sure. We had a lot of questions. uh, February-March time frame of where the economy was going to go, how the consumer would behave. Very quickly, by early May, we found that the consumer was very resilient and looking to improve their home living space. One of the tailwinds that we saw is that people were interested in having work done outside their house whether they were doing it themselves and buying at one of our DIY partners or having a contractor come in and do that. We've continued to see that uh, through the entire summer and now into the fall months.
1: Brian, where are your biggest areas of demand? I'm assuming that in cities where people don't have uh, balconies unless they can afford a balcony, uh, that, you know, that that wouldn't be where your customer base is. It's more in the rural areas?
4: I wouldn't say necessarily rural areas, but more so in the, yeah, the suburban areas. Uh, so outside of your major cities, uh, we are, our volume tends to uh, dominate in those areas where there are large populations. So your suburbs outside of New York through Pennsylvania down into the south, really across the country, where you see the larger population centers, you will see high volume of treks, decking, and railing sales.
0: One of the things we've seen from a commodity standpoint during this um, has been um, the price of wood and lumber. Talk to us about that as a raw material for you guys and kind of how you're managing that.
4: One of the unique things about Trek's company is that our raw materials are 95% recycled content. We are buying polyethylene uh, from distribution centers, grocery stores all over the country, and then reclaimed wood out of furniture, flooring, manufacturers. So we're not reliant upon the input price of wood along the way because we are using those those leftover scraps from the other parts of the business. and It is a very unique business model that has helped with the financial success of Trex over the years.
1: So apparently compressed landfill is another um, option, I guess, for people to use to have their to have some compressed landfill used as decking. How does that work and how do you make sure that you know it's clean and so on?
4: Our primary sources for polyethylene are going to be out of industrial protective wraps, grocery bags, uh, other sort of films coming through. There are opportunities in using landfill. It generally requires some cleaning. And those are things that we look for opportunities in the future. Uh, We hope also with some support of local, state, and uh, federal basis to help us use some of those materials as we move forward.
0: Talk to us about um, the competitive landscape here. I know I'm guessing that with all the people out there trying to either replace or build new decking, uh, it's not just you guys. Talk about uh, the competitive landscape for your business.
4: And there are three major companies that make up a relatively consolidated industry. Trex holds about 50% of the share within the industry. And then the other two companies, the next 40%. So gonna mentioned consolidated. The most important opportunity that Trex company has is conversion of market share against the wood industry. Wood accounts for approximately 80% of the volume of material sold. And that's our primary focus.
1: What are your growth plans? Presumably now would be the time where you would take advantage of people buying houses in suburban and rural areas and and house prices going up and so on. Where do you see yourself scaling to over the next few months?
4: Over the past five years, we've been growing at about a 13% rate. Uh, This year, with the midpoint of our fourth quarter guidance, our growth would be 16%. Mm -hmm. And as we look to the forward years with the wood conversion opportunity, We see no reason why that would slow. Our product lines are highly desirable for making low-maintenance building products and improving the value of people's homes. And we continue to see people looking for repair and remodel, especially as the turnover of homes continues to increase.
0: So I see your stock is up 60% this year. I'm looking at your balance sheet, not much debt. What do you do here with your stock up here? yet? any interest in selling stock, or are you comfortable with your capital structures right here?
4: Yeah, this is a great time to have a conservative capital structure. That's something that the Trex company has always prided itself on, and we received a lot of credit for that as we move through the pandemic phase. As we look forward, our key, key priorities will be first, organic growth. We're in the midst of a $200 million capacity improvement program, 70% capacity increase, and most of that capacity will start coming online in early 2021. Additional priorities are share buybacks, and then lastly would be acquisitions that fit our strategic growth.
1: Acquisitions, just briefly, can you tell us if you have your eye on anything?
4: Uh, Nothing in particular that uh, we'd be discussing, but we're always having discussions out in the marketplace and uh, interesting things from time to time.
1: Yeah, sure. Brian, thank you. Very, very interesting. And uh, do come back on when you get a little more serious about a particular uh, acquisition. We would love to uh, hear about it. Brian Fairbanks is CEO of Trex, the outdoor decking company.
0: Stock has had a heck of a run, again, up 60%. I guess that makes sense. It's one of those um, stay-at-home plays, right, Bonnie?
1: Yeah, and I mean, what are you going to do if if the only exercise you're you're getting is uh, DIY? Well, there's that deck area that you kept meaning to build. Why not build it now? (laughs)